Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, what's going on, guys? Got Stuart Sink on the podcast this week. Of course, he's the 2009 Open Championship. And who among us was not cheering against him uh, that day at Turnberry 2009? Uh, and cheering for Tom Watson, right? Just He, he knew it, though. And, and that's the funny part. We get in some stories with Stuart about, okay, you know when you're the bad guy. You're in enemy territory, it feels like, and you're just trying to make the best of it. And so he had some really fun stories from that win, what that was like, and how Tom responded to it, and what that was like in the aftermath. And I guess Tom made a bullet down the middle on that first playoff hole, and there was just a lot of tenseness uh, for for Stewart to overcome, but he he got it done. You got to tip your hat to him. So we get down to a few stories about that. Of course, it is that time of the year to talk about the Open Championship. And then Stewart talks about the old guys, too, other old guys, and that is uh, playing on the over 52, or he just turned 50, a couple months ago, and so now here he is. He's going to make his second start this week in the College Companies Championship, which is what the Senior Players Championship is there at Bridgestone. And Bridgestone's a place he's played really well. He got a win in 04, and then in 06, he took Tiger to a playoff before finishing second. So good karma, good experience there at that place. But he also talks about just what it feels like being out there, you know, being with Bernhard Langer, what he thought about Bernhard's historic win at the Senior Open, getting the all-time record, and, and just the feeling about being around his peers and, and kind of guys he looked up to and what that is like for him, as well with his caddy now, his wife, Lisa Sink, is out there. And just what's that dynamic like for them? As um, It's got to be a, a challenging, I would think. I, for me, it would be a challenge, I think, just to, to stay focused on the golf. But they find a way to make it happen. So Stewart does kind of get into what that dynamic is like with him uh, having his wife on the bag. And she's been there since April. So a lot of experience so far. And a lot to cover there with, with Stewart Sink. Hope you guys enjoy this one. I, we do get into live for a little bit. And we talk about the, the framework agreement that's being discussed right now and kind of his thoughts on on that and what he's heard and and just kind of just his overall perspective his overall opinion in the live world and 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 what's about to happen so we get into that here with Stuart sink on beyond the clubhouse all right please be joined by my next guest Stuart sink he is an eight-time pga tour winner 2009 open champion of course he beat tom watson there and he's finished third at least third in all of the majors. So a pretty good form uh, over the years in all the majors. But uh, Stuart, what's going on? How, how are you doing this July? I'm, I'm doing well. It's summertime. It's hot. <laughs> We're past the 4th of July now. And so uh, the dog days are here. But it's, uh, it's always a good time of year to be uh, out playing golf. Yeah. Well, speaking of playing golf in the summer, I just think about, you know, fans at home, like all of us, we can relate to hot summer rounds. So what would be your advice um, when we get out there and play in the summer? Like what's the best way to have the right mindset, right attitude towards summer golf? Well, I, I mean, it's pretty uh, obvious. I think we probably have heard all these tips, but um, 
you got to stay hydrated and you, and you have to get the sunscreen on. But I think just as important, something I don't hear that, that often is you got to keep yourself fueled up too. Because while you're sweating and, and out there, your, your body is going through more of its reserves and you can't play a round of golf at 18 holes. And if you include the warm up, a lot of times our rounds, you know, yours and mine, both they're five hour rounds and you can't go the whole round without having some kind of nutritional intake because you're expending a lot. So um, I'm a constant eater on the golf course, just like fully cater the bag every day with uh, bars and nut butters and fruits and stuff, just constantly snacking. And um, But it's good to keep your levels the same. And another thing that I like doing in the summer, um, I'm, I'm a, I kind of have a little hand sweat sometimes, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's more like late in the day, like when it gets dusky. And um, I don't know why it is, but I get a little clammy hands. So um, my son, Reagan, who used to caddy for me, he plays disc golf. And in the world of disc golf, they have this thing called a whale sack. That's an actual like proper name for a product, but it's like a rosin bag. Okay. And he taught me about this thing. And usually I have one strapped with a little carabiner on the side of my bag that when my hands get kind of clammy, I just go in and squeeze it a few times and it makes this like rosin puff and it dries off my hands perfectly for, for uh, you know, a minute or so, which is easily enough to hit a shot. And so um, you'll see my bag out there on the range and every day on the PGA tour with this little powdery sack hanging from it that a lot of people are like, what is that? But that's what it's for. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Reagan. We'll, we'll get to him in, in, in a little bit. Obviously both your sons got married in a pretty short amount of time uh, a couple summers ago. So we'll get into that. But before we do, obviously current events, uh, PGA tour, live merger. That's, that's a, a lot of the news that's, that's happening right now. What was kind of your initial impression when you heard that news that came out, you know, a few weeks ago about the partnership uh, that they were talking about? I was pretty shocked really um, mainly just because it seemed like such a bout face from the messaging that we had been hearing from our executives all the way from when even from the rumblings of live starting way before the public even knew anything about it until uh, right up to the literally the moments before I heard the announcement I was pretty shocked and um, I not knowing a lot of the details I mean I, I know there's they're slowly coming out but um, I'm probably the last guy on tour to ask questions about details because I know probably the least but it was pretty shocking. Um, I have faith in Jay and the leadership team that, um, you know, we, the players, we hire them. Uh, you know, we aren't, aren't in the interview process or anything, but but the board makes the decisions and we represent the board and we uh, basically, you know, we put the board in their positions. So um, I trust them. And I think it's just sometimes a tough pill to swallow when we you entrust someone with a duty and that duty might be the best way to accomplish it might be to kind of keep a secret <laughs> from everybody. It's not always easy. So um, I, while I understand the players being upset about the secrecy, I also kind of understand the necessity of secrecy sometimes when it comes to getting a big deal done like this, that was a delicate negotiation. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned like your other players, your, your peers, like w what's the talk been like uh, among, you know, friends and other peers on the tour like what what's been the consensus i I'd, ima I'd imagine the views are wide ranging you know during uncertain times like this i would imagine they probably are too but i don't know to be honest i haven't talked to many players about it It just doesn't come up in conversation out there we have our own world we're trying to focus on you know um it's a full-time job just trying to be good at golf and 
there's been some little casual talk about things. Um, I played with Adam Scott at Travelers first two rounds, and um, him being Australian, you know, I thought he had a uh, we had a good discussion about the Greg Norman's side of this thing and like where Greg is and what's I haven't heard Greg's name or seen him much since the whole thing was announced, but um, we just had a good, healthy conversation. That was a little different. So I remember it freshly, but mostly when I talk to players, it's kind of always the same things that the players are, they felt shocked like me, um, but also they hope for the best and they think in the long run, it'll probably be a good, healthy move for the PJ tour. And uh, I think, you know, being 50 years old now, I think it'd be a pretty good time to be like 25 years old and be at the top of the PGA tour because it's going to be very lucrative for the next bunch of years. Right. And, and so you, you're just saying just with this forecast that, that, you know, PIF would be supporting the tour and that there'd be so much injected into it. Like you would think for somebody entering their prime, that it would just be like a, a really good time. I think so. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. I think um, the players are going to enjoy a pretty prosperous, uh, bunch of years coming up here and um i I really think financially it's going to be i I think it's it's a it's a win for the players really i mean at the end of the day um you know there's a lot of different sides of the story and um but in the end i think the players are going to be the ones that that really do well in this you think there will be i I know there's a little discussion in that framework agreement about team golf do you think there will be much when it comes to you know increasing team golf on tour or or what's your thought on that from what i could tell and all i have to go on is the framework agreement that i read it sounds like the tour has basically in good faith said we'll look into team golf and i mean i've been in a lot of good faith agreements where they said yeah we'll look into it (laughs) and i know the end of a lot of those um the word is that team golf hasn't done what live golf hoped it would do from inside live that that's the word and um i don't know that there's a way to incorporate it when we already have this uh other enterprise that we're kind of part of this tgl thing starting that's kind of a team golf concept away from tournament play so um you know i wish i could tell you more garrett but i'm seriously the last one i'm like you you've got the people that are under a rock and that's me. And then you've got those people that are under rocks, under rocks. And I'm really under the second rock. I just, I I really don't ask a whole lot of questions and probe too much out there anymore because it's just kind of something that in the past I was very interested in. And my interest in it is honestly just kind of waned a little bit over the last bunch of years. And um, I'm, I'm watching it all unfold from afar, just like we all are. Hmm. Well, what makes you say that, um, that the, the team part of live hasn't, you know, I don't know, hasn't been as productive or hasn't been to, to, to fruition what, you know, what we would have thought. Well, I'm just saying that the word is from inside live that I've heard people that work for live say team golf is not doing what we thought it would do. And I don't really know exactly what they mean, but I think you can kind of connect the dots and I haven't seen big company purchases and teams being renamed by owners and a lot of shares sold. I haven't seen a lot of that. Um, maybe it's happened and I haven't seen it, but I just haven't seen a lot of this ownership change and where the value was forecasted to be in the team golf. It just doesn't seem to be there. Yeah. I think recently, I think maybe because of proximity to being in London, they're there this week, but the Majestics, right. The, uh, you know, Westwood and um, Poulter's team, they had some agreement that they just jumped in with some company that sponsors their bags. Um, 
Do you see that on Twitter at all? Do you see that on social media this week? I haven't seen anything, okay. but I'm again, I'm not looking for it. So um, I'm, I haven't really been paying attention to live golf features or uh, stories or anything very much. I just, it's just not been something I've been seeking. But interesting though, as we talk about live golf, was that ever an attraction for you? Like you said being 50, obviously not in your prime anymore. Was that something where you ever approached or thought about uh, going over to live at, at one point or? No, I never even considered it mainly because um, I was so close to 50 that I would have put in jeopardy the possibility of playing PGA Tour champions. And I'm looking forward to playing some of that. I already played one event and it was a blast and I've got one next week too. So um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I just didn't, I didn't want to take a chance and jeopardize that not knowing what live was going to hold in the future. Um, just didn't, I didn't feel like starting a new type of career, which is basically what those guys did. I didn't feel like starting a new career at my age. And um, it just, it didn't feel like it was worth the risk to me. I mean, I, I didn't see the upside. And so I didn't even, it, it wasn't even on the table ever. I mean, I, they never approached me. I never approached them. There was never even a conversation about it with me. Hmm. But you could understand, I'd imagine, um, you know, yet that why some of the guys went over. I mean, can you kind of see both sides of yeah. how that happened? I can see that. And um, the way I've seen this, and I, you can probably imagine I've been asked a lot. Um, I don't really, I didn't ever like live golf from the beginning because it felt like a ambush on the PGA tours. Uh, you know, our, it felt like they were just coming to try to take our stars away. And, right. um, I didn't really like the way they did that. I thought the style was just brash and, you know, juvenile and, and I thought it was pretty immature, but at the same time, all the players that made individual decisions to go that direction, I don't fault them because they, you know, that they, they, everybody has to make the decisions that's best for their family at the time and whatever situation they're in. You got players with injuries who their future on the PGA tour is not certain, or, uh, you know, it's not set in concrete. I mean, every day for a professional golfer is pretty much, you know, you got to kind of make your own way through the forest and, yeah. and, Sometimes literally make your way through the forest and it's yeah. just not really, there's not a guarantee out there. So the attractiveness of a guarantee for many years to get paid a lot. And I, I understand that. I mean, I, that's, I, I'm not, um, I may be under a rock, like I said, but I'm not like a complete, I'm not completely in the dark. So um, all the individuals that decided what they need to do, you got various setups. It's like a myriad of different um, circumstances for all the players. Some of my friends, so um, I get it and I don't hold anybody accountable or I don't feel like there's a wedge drawn between me and anybody like that. But so um, I don't like the organization very much. And I, I didn't like it very, very much from the beginning, but as far as the indi individual decisions, you know, they can do whatever they want to do. And uh, we got a, I got a personal relationship with a lot of those guys. I've got a professional relationship with all those guys, the professional relationship, you know, it is a little different now because they're playing live golf and we're, we're in different camps, but um, the personal relationship doesn't get changed at all. Hmm. Well, when you say you didn't like the organization from the start with live and you felt like they were kind of immature and brash the way it kind of went about like taking players uh, back last summer when they started um, knowing we're kind of entering into an agreement, you know, how do you kind of manage all those feelings about uh, you know, the agreement we're getting into? Well, um, how do I manage those feelings? 
I guess it really won't change. It, I'll still feel like that live golf was brash and immature and, and the way they started their, their style. Um, that will never change, but the fact that they, well, again, now we're going on information that's partial here, but the fact that they, um, wanted to sit down with the PGA tour and negotiate and invest and, um, start this new venture. Um, and that our executives saw enough in it to, um, to carry this forward. It tells me that, um, maybe live golf, maybe they kind of learned some lessons about that beginning too. And maybe they felt like, okay, this though wasn't maybe the right way to get into it. And maybe this is a kind of a way that they're showing that they respect our organization and they want to be part of us instead of trying to, you know, kind of squash us and put us off to the side. Yeah. So at least there's, they want to find common ground basically. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's pretty obvious too. The way that they've found common ground is an asset that is going to possibly grow in value. I mean, you got to remember the I in PIF stands for investment. There's not a sponsorship in there anywhere. There's no S. And their long-term goal was not to just be the sponsor of another golf tour that was going to cost them. I don't even know how much it was costing them a year, but it was a lot. It was going to just cost and cost and cost. And so uh, that's not the purpose of the, of the PIF. They are an investment fund and they seek returns. And so they must see value in the PGA tour in this new venture or otherwise they wouldn't have done it. Right. You mentioned next week, going to play a champ, uh, PGA tour champions, uh, back at Firestone. I mean, I'd imagine that's a big draw having won there in 2004, um, world golf championships. I think you were in a playoff with tiger two years later in 06. Right. So, uh, that's right. Yeah. You, you got to love going to Firestone, making your second appearance uh, on the champions tour there. Right. Yeah. I love it. And, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Firestone. It was, you know, there's a few tournaments over the years that you you start loving, you really love playing, and then when they disappear from this from the schedule, it's a little bit hurtful. Firestone's one of those for me. I played there so many times. I got a win there. Had a great moment with Tiger, a long playoff where he he won. Um, but then you know, the business world sort of took Firestone off our rotation, and the the for for the your viewers and listeners, the the tournament that used to be at Firestone it used to be a winner's only tournament. If you won a tournament, you went there. It was kind of like what Kapalua, the century championship is kind of like today. Yeah. And uh, it was in the summer. So uh, if you won a tournament, you're going to get to do a couple of things. You're going to play in the tournament champions. You're going to go in to play in Firestone. And it was awesome. Great tournament, small field. And then it became a world golf championship. Still a great tournament, you know, small field, big purse. And it was a, a elite tournament. Played that way for a long time. And then when the FedEx Cup came out, came about, we had uh, the FedEx Cup start. And then at the end of the FedEx Cup negotiation, we had to redo our deal with FedEx to get the, you know, to secure the next several years in the contract. And FedEx really wanted a big tournament at their place right there in Memphis at TPC Southland, which basically surrounds the FedEx headquarters. Mm. And so part of that negotiation became we want to move a WGC to memphis and then that's where you end up with the i think it was called the wgc st jude yeah. <laughs> anyway for memphis it, it, we played there what four years maybe something like that that tournament is the one that firestone it moved from firestone to memphis and now the tournament became a playoff event so over the years firestone received the champions event i think it was a senior players and now it's sponsored by a company called colleague 
companies. And so uh, when you see the name Colleague Companies Championship, you'll see uh, that's what is now the senior players at Firestone. I hope I got that right, because if, if I'm wrong about that, <laughs> someone's probably going to come slap my wrist. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, just, just being back with those guys again, uh, you know what I mean? Like, what, what is that like, the camaraderie like with some of those guys that were your peers and, and older than you? Yeah, a, a lot of them um, are my peers, and and it's, it's I, I I can't I'm in I'm in no middle ground here because it's, on the PGA Tour I'm like the oldest by far and I got no peers, and in the <laughs> Champions I've got like almost no peers because I'm the youngest by far. I mean, the at the other event I played this summer, the um, KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship, I literally turned fifty the Sunday before the tournament, so I was the youngest by far, and and at this one coming up there'll be. Uh, some newer players, I think, that are younger than me, but it's fun to mix it up with the guys I know from a long time ago, and and to I feel like I'm like the longest hitter. I, I mean, I'm not because me and Padraig are pretty close to the same, and there's a couple other guys that can really move it. But for the most part, I'm in that longest four or five hitters by far, and it's really fun to just launch it and feel like you're like a like I I think I know what Bryson felt like when he came back after COVID, and he was like. 300 pounds and hitting it like a gorilla <laughs> <laughs> all systems go yeah well what about uh bernard langer getting his win you know breaking the record i mean that, that's gotta be a pretty impressive stuff seeing a guy that's 15 years older than you that's uh, able to win that many times on the pga tour champions right yeah it's it is um it's astonishing i mean anytime you see records broken in any elite level of, of a sport or a game it's just uh it's always mind-blowing but for age to be a factor, you know, um, I mean, it just tells you how important it is to stay fit. And I mean, you look at Bernhardt, he looks like he could run a marathon right now. It's just, uh, it's inspiring to see what he does and how much he loves playing and competing and what he gets out of his game. I mean, I've played with him not long ago, um, maybe in the last year or two and his distance is just not, it's, he's not a long hitter at all. And to see him compete on a, on a big course like that one up in Wisconsin last week and hit fairways and hit greens and just grind everybody to death. And basically, I mean, it wasn't even an interesting finish. It was so, he was so far ahead. Uh, dang. I mean, he just keeps on going and it's a, it's inspiring. Yeah. And um, who was caddying for you for the um, back in May? At the That's my Super. wife, Lisa. He's been Lisa. caddying for me. Yeah. Okay. She's been caddying for me since April. Right, right. So, so what is that dynamic dynamic like with with Lisa on the back? It's it's really good. Um, she's not really a caddy as far as doing all the things that a lot of the caddies do. I mean, I'm pretty much on my own out there when it comes to making decisions. But fortunately, I'm also pretty good at that part of the game. So, um, it's a uh, she knows me really well. That's her biggest key for caddying with me is she's she knows me and she knows how to. Uh, kind of helped me get in the right space to free myself up. And I mean, I haven't played great since she's caddied for me. It's not like she's like the, you know, she's my secret weapon, <laughs> the, whatever the opposite of kryptonite is. Okay. <laughs> it's not the opposite <laughs> of kryptonite, um, but she's just been a, a joy to have out there. She's into it. Um, she went 36 holes caddying at the U S open qualifier in one day, which was pretty impressive. And we got through, that was a great day. So, um, it's just, she just knows me really well. She's not really, she's a new golfer. She's kind of a beginner still, but she's played golf for a year. But she's not reading putts very much. I do occasionally ask her, like, if I'm really confused, I'll say, what is this doing? And she'll kind of look at the green and go, 
slopes that way, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a rudimentary sort of caddying, but she, her, she's really into it as far as like making sure she does what the other caddies do as far as raking and keeping up and not being in the way and respecting the, you know, it's like a dance out there that players and caddies have to do. And so, uh, but she's already traveling with me and she's out there. So I just love being able to share the ups and downs of the rounds. And, you know, I don't any longer have to explain, like, she'll say, what happened on number six? You know, I don't have to tell her that anymore because she's standing right there. She knows exactly what happens. So it, it's been fun. And um, I have this thing, I guess, I, I when my son Reagan caddied for a couple of years, it was incredible. And now I've got Lisa caddying and it's just, uh, it's fun to share it. I mean, I've been doing this for a long, long time and it's, it's kind of fun to share it with them. My loved ones. Yeah. Well, speaking of your loved ones, yeah, I think about the summer of 2021, you had both your sons, Connor and Reagan got married within, it felt like a three or four month span. Like, what is that like as a parent to go through something like that, where, where there's so much change at one time? It was seven weeks apart in 2021. Um, July 31st, 2021, Reagan got married to Olivia. And September 18th, 2021, Connor got married to Jess. So, yes, a whirlwind of activity. Um, we were just so thankful that we didn't have daughters at that time because <laughs> planning a son's wedding was involved, but it wasn't anything like if it was a daughter. So um, we just had a we, – we did whatever we could do. We offered to be helpful, and we took – parts like I took transportation and kind of handled all the buses and all that the whole logistics of getting everybody from place to place and it was just um it was a lot of fun we love both the girls and it's amazing to see them you know partner up and start their new lives together and so um a lot of uh, sadly they were so close together that we hardly remember any of the planning for the second one the first one we remember a lot of, but the second one, it was just such a whirlwind that uh, we don't remember that much of the planning, but both weddings turned out great and they're, they're both doing fine. Both living right here around Atlanta where I live. So um, within about 15 minutes, we have both of our sons and our daughters-in-law for now. Yeah, for now. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting as we're in the, the month of July now, I, I think about the open championship. I mean, you've played so many over the years. I think your first one was 1998. Um, and you've been to Liverpool a couple of times. You played there in open championships. You know, what is it about, you know, I guess I'm get, getting into storytelling here, but like, what are some stories in the opens over the years? I know you've really, you've had some good success, but you've also, you know, you're close to a lot of guys on tour. You're close to Zach Johnson, who went on to win in 2015 at the old course you won in 2009. But what, what kinds of stories come to your mind when you think of the experience of going over uh, to the open? Well, it's a really wonderful tournament and it's run quite similar to the way it was my first one and probably to the way it was 50 years ago. Okay. Uh, it just, it doesn't change that much. They, they set the course up beautifully. They let nature kind of just do its thing. If it's really wet summer, you're going to have thick and high rough. If it's a really dry summer, you're not going to have much rough. And they just don't manipulate things that much. Um, just very smart with the way they set the course up. And it's always such a fun challenge, different challenge from playing golf in the States. Um, one thing I remember, it was my, it might've been my first one. My, I was at Burkdale. I played my first British Open at Burkdale in 98, but I played another one in 2008. So it was one of those two, but on the 16th hole at Burkdale, it's a par four that runs toward the beach. And the, um, 
the green is kind of set up on this. It's kind of like a dune, I guess, where over the back of the green, you can kind of see the beach. And it's weird. No, not like it is here where you got the beach and you got the waves crashing. It's a beach and you really can't even see the water. It's like a mile of sand, literally. And right on this little dune where the 16th green is perched, they, um, I guess at some point over the years, they planted these pine trees, these little scrubby pines. They're not that tall behind the green. And they must be like a windbreak or something just to kind of keep, it, it's windy. Burkdale is very windy. But the 16th green is exposed. So they have this little ring of trees around the back of the green, just these little, I mean, they're almost bushes, but they're just pines. And we were playing there in either 98 or 08. And the wind was blowing so hard as this squall came through right off the beach that the needles were blowing off the pine tree. And it was like you were being shot with arrows from the back of the green, just this constant barrage of pine needles, like coming straight at you. It was blowing that hard. And we had to get our umbrellas out and like shield ourselves <laughs> from the pine needles. It's the Easy. most unusual type of wind event I've ever seen at a golf course. And play just kept going. It wasn't like it was too windy to play golf. It was just at that moment, there was such a huge gust that the needles were injuring you on the 16th green. It was just one of the weirdest moments. And then, you know, you turn around on the 17th tee and you hit straight downwind. So you can carry it like 340 no on the par five. So it, it's just a, <laughs> experiences like that. You know, you, I, I had a whiff. I whiffed the year I won in Turnberry on the, I believe it was the second round on the fourth hole. I, I had a whiff in the rough. Like I was right beside the green. I was six yards from the green and I tried to hack it from the rough and I just completely missed the ball. And so uh, maybe the only person ever to win a major and have a whiff in the same tournament. <laughs> what hole was that on? And so it was third round or second round. You just remember what hole? Uh, yeah, it was the fourth hole. It was a par three. And um, I believe it was the second round. I don't remember exactly for sure. But, yeah, I was just right of the green and just trying to hit a shot out of this heavy, you know, hay. Get in there and, and took a whack at it. And, oh, there's the ball. <laughs> just completely missed. Made double bogey. And, I mean, right there, I just knew I was going to win the tournament. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, um, but, yeah, I had a whiff and a win at the same event and in a major it might maybe the only one in history i don't know that is crazy well speaking of that win you had 30 minutes roughly after you finished out after you put it out on 18 to wait and see what would this lead to right would it go to a playoff but what's watson what's the last group's going to do what, what is that like as a competitor you never won a major at that point what are the 30 minutes like well there's the thing is there's no downside because i just made birdie on the 72nd hole <laughs> to get to minus two at that time, I do believe Watson was on about the 16th hole and he was minus three, maybe. I don't remember exactly, but a birdie on the 72nd hole of a major never hurts. So um, there was really no downside. We went in the locker room. It was my wife and my two boys. They were about 12 and 15 at the time. And then we had a couple that we know from London who was with us. And we just kind of corralled everybody. All six of us went in the locker room. I'm sure this couple was like, what in the world is going on? We just, we just came to watch cough and now this. And so um, we're just in the locker room, kind of watching it on, on the television and watching it kind of unfold and no downside at all. It just felt like if this happens, 
if I get in the playoff, I'm there's no way I'm going to lose this tournament. I just felt like it was just going to be mine if it was a playoff. And then, you know, sure enough, Watson made a bogey on 18. And uh, by the way, to credit Watson, a lot of people think that he gagged that away. But where he hit that ball in the 18th hole over the green there, television did not do it justice. It is a difficult place to get your ball close. And he did pretty good to get it 10 feet. And then so um, to make a bogey from back there was uh, pretty expected. When I saw his ball go over the green, I felt like this is a bogey. So uh, just, you know, going up against someone who was obviously going to be the crowd favorite and the around the world television favorite. It was uh, a situation came up recently that was similar. And I with it involved Tommy Fleetwood and Nick Taylor at the Canadian Open. RBC Canadian Open this year where uh, there was a playoff and Tommy Fleetwood was the ogre because there was a chance that a Canadian might finally win that thing. And so uh, that the next day I spoke to Tommy on the putting green at a LA country club about, uh, about how like it feels to be, you know, the, the guy who everybody else wants to lose. <laughs> yeah. Broke the hearts. Yeah. And uh, for him, it didn't turn out the way he wanted to, but he definitely could understand that the, how the crowd feel was. And it was like that for me that day, but it, it was just, um, it was a magical moment, you know, and um, a lot of things happened right for me and, you know, I felt like my game had been good enough to win majors at that point for a little while. And I didn't know, I never felt like I had a monkey on my back, but just to win that major championship at 36, I think I was 36 years old. I just felt like that was like a kind of a validating moment for me just to, you know, I felt like I could do it. And when I had a really close call in the 2001 U S open where I missed a short, short put on the last hole where I was really just trying to get out of the way of Retief goosen but turned out to be pretty costly so um it was nice to get back in that position and and walk through the threshold of winning right and and what was the story about you waiting uh waiting it out for watson to get to the uh the first playoff hole right like you wanted the crowd like didn't you wait in a portage on or something you wanted to wait yeah. it out so that you would be there at the right time <laughs> yeah um when i was in there watching the playoff i mean sorry watching the final hole and unfold and saw Watson ball go over the green I felt like this is going to be a playoff and I'm going to be like no one's going to be out there supporting me no one and I just felt like what can I do to uh you know at least sort of minimize that or so the only thing I could come up with was I just don't want to get to the tee first I don't want to be standing on the tee with my driver like this while he walks up and everybody's going come on, you can do it. You know, let's go, Tom. You're our guy. You know, I already knew all that. I didn't need to hear that. So um, I, I developed this intricate plan to get to the T second. That's really intricate, right? Of course, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> Not very intricate. But I did remember when they announced the playoff was going to start on a hole five, that there was a portage on down about 60 or so yards off the tee, hidden away in the gorse bushes. And so um, that's that turned out to be my plan i'm just gonna go wait it out in the portage on until it's time to come to the tee and we i did we we got on this bunch of carts everybody i don't know why they chose the fifth hole but it's a mile from the clubhouse some reason but we went way out there on these armada of carts just like i don't know how many carts every and it was one person to a cart so you couldn't even share with their caddy they had a lot of carts and um my driver and i were headed 
towards five. And I told her before we got out there, we're going to veer off and go to the Portageon. And we did and encountered a little trouble on the way. Like we hit a gallery rope that lodged up under the steering column of this Ooh. cart with no top. And it was like a little dicey heart rate elevated. And, um, but basically ended up still working the plan, still got to the Port of John and standing there kind of just like trying to get my heart rate down and listening. You know, I could hear the crowd by the T and I was, I was listening and I, I heard Watson get there and I heard the crowd sort of swell and the sound and all that and the cheering. And I knew that was my cue. So when I heard that sort of start to die down, I popped out of the Port of John and I walked the little 50 or 60 yards back to the T and, I got to the T second and I heard just a little polite, you know, there was, everybody was polite and, every, and there was sure. a pause, but there wasn't a rousing, like, come on, Stuart, you can do this. You got it. No, 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 uh -uh, none of that. And so, um, but I was still working my plan and uh, I still felt super confident. I mean, I, I was playing very well uh, and those holes were difficult. Five, six were some of the most difficult holes in the tournament. And, then we had a pretty easy par five and then 18 was straight downwind. So it went really hard hole, really hard hole. And then two of the easier holes. And um, Watson hit it. I mean, he at first that he drew one or whatever out of the hat and he at first and he hit a bullet down the center of the fairway. And I was like, whoa. And I was whoa. like, you got to wake up because <laughs> this guy's he's no joke. And I, I knew that, of course. I just played incidentally at the Masters that year. I played yeah. a practice round with Tom Watson. Uh, we just happened to be on the first tee at the same time. It was a cold, rainy Tuesday, let's call it. Not many people were playing that day, but we got to the first tee at the same time, and we were playing Augusta National, which is like the opposite of any open championship venue. It's soft. It's long. You know, it, that day it was cold and wet. It was playing like 8,000 yards long. And for – Nine holes, I don't think Watson missed the center of the club face or the fairway. But he only hit it like, you know, 245 off the tee. Right. And after nine holes, I was just thinking to myself, like, dang, that, Tom just wore the club face out. And this course is going to be really hard for him to compete on. But he could do something at the Open Championship. And sure enough, I mean, I'm, I end up with a playoff in a playoff with a guy. I mean, his game is just built for courses like that. He hits a low sort of a drawing shot that rolls a long way and you don't really have to carry it 300 yards very often over there. So, um, it was just weird that I played a practice round with him and then boom, there we are in a playoff and he ended up making a bogey on the first hole, a really tough, long par four. And uh, I made par. So I had a one shot lead and then, um, and he hit it off in the high grass on 17 end up. I think he took at least two to get out of the rough and made that seven. And I hit it on the green in two and made birdie. So it was over after that. But the 18th hole was pretty much just a, a stroll. Yeah. Well, great stuff, Stuart. A lot of good memories there from the Open. You're heading there again this year um, back to England, this time to Liverpool. But appreciate the time. Thanks for jumping on. And uh, we'll catch up again soon, I'm sure. Okay, Garrett. You got it. All right, my thanks to Stuart for joining me on the podcast. I love some of these stories. I love that Tom Watson story there. Hiding in the Portageon, the Portageon where champions are made, waiting it out so that he would have 
to be able to go to the T box there uh, at the right time. I, I love that strategy. I love uh, just he was thinking it through. He, he had a plan and, and he had to get himself in the right mentality to be ready for that playoff. And he was not going to give Tom Watson an inch. I love that. So, so many fun stories there. Hope you guys like those stories about the Open. Of course, we got the Open coming up here pretty soon. So, a lot of fun stuff, and I, I liked his thoughts on the framework and, and live golf. He doesn't like live golf, period, you know, and he doesn't like the way they went about things, but he's got to, you got to work with them. Gotta, you got to find a way to, to make it all happen. So interesting thoughts from Stewart on the framework and and uh, the live and PGA Tour partnership. And I also like just his wife and caddying for him and, and how they manage everything. I, that was a fun uh, part of the interview as well. So hope you guys enjoyed it there with Stuart Sink, and we'll catch up soon here on Beyond the Clubhouse.